All right, well, we're going to start. Um, let's bear our heads together for a word of prayer, if that's all right. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to come together and to talk about the privilege of mission service. We invite your presence to be with us. We thank you so much for the call that you put on each one of our lives. It's a privilege to hear it and to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, our title for this talk is International Missions Sacrifice or Privilege. And I appreciate the little bit that I caught of the previous presentation. A little bit of background. My name is Stephen Grabner, and I work with a international mission organization called OCI, Outpost Centers International. And we work with about 90 full-time missionaries in 30-odd different countries, 35 different countries. My wife and I uh, spent about 10 years, probably close to the best 10 years of our life, in Africa, uh, at, in the country of Zambia, working on a mission station called Riverside Farm. And while we were there, we occasionally got, to pretty, pretty much every year, we'd get student missionaries that would come. And you know, that's a whole different experience. You come short term, and everything's different, as you just heard as well. But I wanted to share a little bit about how we ended up getting there, what some of the process was in, my, in our personal lives. And um, when we first got married, we were working in New York City, which is another mission field for sure. We were running a vegetarian restaurant called Country Life. We were down in the Wall Street area. And for lunch, my lovely wife, she was the head cook. And so we would serve about 400, 500 people a day for lunch from around 12.30 to 2.30. That's a lot of cooking. It's a lot of activity. Um, but people would come in, Wall Street brokers, stockbrokers, bankers, just people that worked down in that area. We were right in the shadow of the Twin Towers. And we did mission work there. We did Daniel classes and various different things. One of the classes I gave was a stress management class. And these people that worked down there were prime candidates, as you can expect. And so in the stress management course, did something that's quite popular these days. And you know, it's kind of like the 100-year birthday exam, or what do you want people to say at your funeral, kind of a test. And so I talked to the class, and I said, you know, what I want you to do for homework this time is to go home and think you're at your end of your life, it's your 100-year birthday, or you're in the grave. What do you want people to say about you? And because I wanted them to be thinking, where do they want their life to be going? And um, so that was on a Wednesday. The next day, you know, customers come back in. But I noticed over the past, the, excuse me, the following few days, one particular customer didn't come back in. His name was Basel. The tall guy, pretty heavy set. And he just didn't show up. One day, two days, three days, four days, five days. And then it was about a week and a half, maybe two weeks later, he came bounding back in. He had lost a bit of weight. He was tanner. And he just looked like really electric. He was like really excited. And I said, Basel, what happened to you? And he said, well, you know, after the stress class, I went home and I did what you told me. And I decided that I just didn't want to work my whole life in New York City. And so I moved my brokerage firm out into the country, country, quote, close, 
north of New York City, 50 miles is not really country, but that's where he moved to. It was country compared to the city. And, and he's, you know, I'm home, I don't have the commute, and he just was really excited. And so when he came back in, I was like, wow. And so the, like the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and said, well, you know, you should do this as well, that you should think about your life. And so I did. I remember, you know, going home and um, kind of thinking, so if I was 100, which I'm closer to now than I was then, uh, you know, what would I want my life to be? And I began to think. I said, well, you know, I want to be a good husband. I want to be you know, a good spiritual leader. I want my children to have the opportunity to live in another culture. It was one of my list things. So we left the restaurant in New York City. We, I got a job as a pastor, was working in the city of Boston, opened up a vegetarian restaurant there, starting two churches in the Boston area, working for the conference. Um, 11 years of denominational service, and I got an invitation to go to Zambia to work as a self-supporting missionary in the country of Zambia. And so we went to visit. It was a really beautiful place. There was a couple of questions. But in the back of my mind was, hey, it's on the 100-year priority list. It's one of the things that's really important to you. And so I've been a pastor for 11 years, denominational you know, retirement and benefits. And you're, if I had kids that were old enough at that time, they could have gone to Southern for a discount and all those things. But those things weren't on my 100-year list. But giving my children an experience was. So we left denominational employment. We went to Riverside, uh, the name of the institute there, as self-supporting voluntary missionaries. And we were there for close to 10 years. Really fantastic experience. Would you trade it, dear? Not at all. Not at all. Um, you know, I bet you could ask my kids. They would say the same thing. Really good experience. But it was helpful for me because I'd stepped back and I thought, what's really most important in the large scope of life? And um, most of you here are probably younger than I was when I did that 100-year test. But I really encourage you to do it because it helps clarify what's really most important. And so we were there, uh, as I said, for close to 10 years. We came back, and I've been working with OCI since then, 2006, first as vice president and now as president. And I just want to share another personal picture. Um, about five years ago, maybe, I began to have pain, like real severe pain. And I was ignoring it because, you know, you live in the mission field. You don't have doctors at hand, so... I forgot that we lived here and we had doctors around, but I just was really trying to gut through this pain. And it was really, 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 really intense, hot showers, collapsing on the floor. Finally, I decided to go see a doctor. And they said, well, you know, your gallbladder is inflamed. It needs to come out. And I was like, well, no, I think I could gut through this. So I went back home, and then it really flared up again. And I said, okay, you know, if the doctor had walked into my bedroom with a rusty knife at 1 in the morning, I would have said, go for it. Figured it'd be better to go to the hospital and sort it out that way. So I did. And, you know, it was supposed to be an in and out surgery. Um, whatever you call it when you take gallbladders out. What's the official word for that? Somebody's got to be medical here. I had it laparoscopically removed. Thank you. And what do they call it when they take it out? 
somethingectomy, right? One of those things. So it's supposed to be very quick. You know, they do it, two little incisions, you take it out. But when I came to, my family was standing around the bed. And I thought, this is not a good sign. <laughs> and my wife said, they think you have liver cancer and you have to spend the night. And so they took me back up to the room and I was like, liver cancer? You know. I woke up in the middle, of the, I woke up around five in the morning, I called my wife, I called Vivian. What did you say last night? Yeah, they think you have liver cancer. About 20 minutes later, the doctor walked in and he says, yeah, we think you have liver cancer. And I was like, so what's the prognosis on liver cancer? And he goes, oh, two years, five years, max, maybe. And I was just like, good news is I don't have liver cancer. It was a misdiagnosis, okay? But I felt that I probably did at the time where I thought I might have. And then all those hundred-year questions started coming back to my mind. How have I lived my life? And I was happy, although there were certain things I needed to adjust, finances or whatever. But I was really happy that I lived my life in harmony with the hundred-year vision. That it wasn't that I had lived my life and I was, you know, 50-something and now I had liver cancer and, boy, I never did the things I wanted to do. And so as we think about mission work, sacrifice or privilege, serving Christ is a privilege continually, all the time. And so it's very important for us to have this idea, what is God calling me to? Now, when I was asked to do uh, this presentation for GYCSE a few weeks back, um, in between I was asked to do it, and today I was in Bolivia uh, visiting Dosong Kim, who runs a ministry down there. And while we were there, I, he told me he was going to be in the States. And I said, well, you know, I'm talking about mission work, international mission work here. Why don't you come share your experience? And so I've invited him to come share, again, from his personal background, how God led him from a successful practice to where he is. And by the way, he is in a rural location. Let me just put it that way. Uh, it's beautiful. Bolivia is an up-and-coming country. Um, reminds me of Africa, you know, 25 years ago. Um, but they have a great group of students a beautiful mission that they're just carving out of this place, no electricity, and they have the most wonderful, wonderful, wonderful no-see-em gnats that just eat you alive, right? But they have other things too, other great things. With that introduction, Dr. Kim, I'm going to turn it over to you and tell us why would you go to such a place. And Dr. Kim and his wife and his three children are there. Um, and again, they're representative of many OCI ministries and other ministries around the world where people have caught the vision, they know what God's calling them to do, and they're going that direction. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for letting me know what I'm supposed to be talking about now. <laughs> but I know. Um, let's begin with Jeremiah 33.3. One of my favorite verses of many. Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee. Some of you know this. And show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Okay. And I have found this to be true. When we call on God, he responds. And he shows us great and mighty things that we can 
we can't possibly imagine. And this is what I have been seeing and experiencing for the past four years. So now let's go ahead and call upon God before I begin so we can see mighty things from him. Our Heavenly Father, we have come together because you have called us. We have come together because we are here to honor and glorify you. We ask that your presence would be here. I pray that I would be an earthen vessel containing the treasure of the universe, that we may be a blessing, that I may be a blessing that you, through the words that you have to speak through me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Four years ago, I guess it was before that, five, six years ago, I was living a very happy, contented life in the mountains of Montana. It was a beautiful place where we could go out in the wintertime, in the summertime, anytime, just go out into the woods, enjoy our time together as a family. I have three boys and uh, kind of a, I used to call it heaven on this side of heaven, heaven on earth. And I was ministering through my practice. I'm a dentist. I guess I should say I was. I was practicing in a small town. Before then, I was practicing in a large town in California. And by the grace of God, I was very successful. And there's something that happens when a man is successful. He believes, or at least I did, he believes the success came from comes from something that he did or he is or somehow it's related to something about him. I now know different that any success comes from God and God owns our success. That means that if I have success, if I don't use it for the honor and glory of God, that success becomes a curse, not a blessing. So this is what I learned. I don't have time to share with you the whole story, but I got to a point where I was not even praying. Well, I guess I was going through the motions of praying before food. You know, that's one of the basics that we do as Christians. We thank God for, for the food that we are about to partake and God got to bless the food. <clears throat> but I got to a point where I, I was wondering, why do I pray before I eat? I work very hard and I felt that I worked very hard and I deserved the good things in life. And as I was doing this, I just, knew where I was headed. I knew my life wasn't right with God, but I didn't know what to do about it. So in passing, I asked God, please do something to get my attention. Do something so that I will realize my need of you. I was not on my knees. I was not accustomed to having personal time, devotional time with God, but it was just in passing that I just said those few words. Oh, and I forgot to tell you. I almost forgot to tell you. And I said, God, do whatever it takes. You guys are, you shouldn't have said that. No. <laughs> but that proved to be the, the, the saving prayer. Okay? Because God got my attention. I was involved in an airplane crash. I'm almost a pilot. Airplane crash at nighttime with my family in an orchard, orchard uh, almond orchard, and that got my attention. What is life about? Is life about getting and having and doing and succeeding in life 
and I just came to the conclusion that that was not what life was about. Because even though I had all these things that I ever dreamed, there was such an emptiness in my heart that no matter how much I had, no matter how much I was making, it was never enough. And so I needed more, I needed something better, I need something bigger in order to try to satisfy that, that need in my heart. And uh, so we moved, I sold everything, moved to Montana, spent some quiet time there, two months, three months, and I asked God, how long does this need to be? It was getting quite painful because I was used to doing things, I was used to running my, my own show, but after the airplane crash, I began to st spend time with God. Every day, I just, I just, it's, at first it was only 10 minutes because I wasn't used to kneeling before the God of the universe. And after a while, it was 20 minutes, it was 40 minutes, an hour and two hours, and it seemed that I couldn't get enough. And finally, I just, I just fell in love with God and what He is and who He is. And, and I just got to a point where I said to God, whatever you want from me, it is yours. Everything I have is yours. My career is yours. My family is yours. Money, whatever, the house is all yours. My talents, whatever it's worth at this point, whatever you want is yours. If you want my heart, it's yours. It's dirty and it's polluted, but it's yours. So I give it all to God. You know what? Uh, such a peace came over my life, my heart at that point. Peace that I had never experienced before. And I had this overwhelming desire to just shout it out from the mountaintops. You know, if you give your life to God, your life isn't, is just going to be so full of contentment and peace in your life. And I just wanted to blur it out. And I went outside and I, just, I did just that. <laughs> you know, nobody was around. Our nearest neighbor was two miles away. And uh, it was just a, an, that was more than 12, 10 years ago. I think it was more than 12 years ago. But, <clears throat> but even today, I haven't lost that joy and peace in knowing God and putting him first in my life. And so I moved to Montana. And so we were doing the, all this. And I finally, after seven, eight months, which seemed like eight years, God finally said, okay. And I didn't know what he was going to call me to do. At this point, he said, okay. Back into dentistry, but with a different perspective, you see. This time, I was not married to dentistry. It, I was married to God, and dentistry was one of the tools. Okay? It was only a tool. Okay? It could be a hammer or a saw, but it was only a tool. Okay, it happened to be dentistry for me. And so I began to practice, and I used the, the, the practice as a ministry. And there's a term that I heard, a phrase that I heard, that is absolutely true, I found. If you're not a missionary, you are a mission field. Okay. I was a mission field. Now... I was a missionary. I'm supposed to be talking about international mission, missioner, mission service, but it's began at home. Okay. First, it began in my own family. I said, my family doesn't know God. I asked my nine-year-old at the time, do you believe in God? Very simple question. And I was shocked because I had taken him to church. We had 
worships once in a while, you know, when I felt like it. And uh, we tried to do all the right things for them, even though I was, my heart was far away from God. But when I asked this question, he, was, he said, no. I said, what? What have we been doing all these years? What is going on? I was totally shocked. I got to do something. And that was part of the process of moving to Montana. Two months after we got to Montana, I asked my son the same exact question. Do you believe that there is God? He said, yes, Daddy. I said, wow. My first mission field. I'm making progress. And then with the, with the, with the dental office, we were, it was just a, it was a, it was a cover. It was a cover. It was, it was really not a the dental office. It was, a, it, was a, it was a mission office. I had staff that were Adventists, and I had staff that we prayed together. Well, at home, I prayed by my, I, I had my own personal devotional time. I had devotional time with my wife, prayer time with my wife, and then I would go through to each one of my boys and have prayer time with them. And then by the time I got home, I had already done one, two, three, four, five, six in family worship, so about six worships already. And then I would go to work and we would have worship with my staff and we would pray for each person that, was, that we're going to see that day. And the people that weren't gonna come, or, or that didn't even know they were gonna come, but they'll end up, or we didn't know, I guess I should say. We didn't know they were gonna come, they would end up in my office. We would pray for each one. And it was a ministry and my whole staff, well, two staff, my whole staff knew that this was a mission office. People would come in, they would sit down, they would open their mouth, and I'd begin to talk. Okay. <laughs> it's a wonderful experience. You get paid to do mission work, <laughs> okay? And we would just spend time talking. Well, how are you doing? How are you? And they would talk to me, uh, tell me about the problems, or th and every single one has problems, okay? They have problems, financial problems, family problems, boyfriend, girlfriend, name, children, everything, finance. And so we would talk, and I would always point them to Jesus, and we would pray together. And I, oh, no, Mrs. Patient, we just spent your whole appointment talking, and I, we didn't even get started, and it's already over. Oh, no, that's okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. I can come back next time. And they were always so gracious because they, had, they felt like they got something more worthwhile than what they came for. It was a truly, a, and so we, I was doing this, and, and my staff, sometimes I would see them talking to the patient, and I could tell they were having a spiritual conversation. And I would just wait in the, in the lab area, okay? and I would just wait until, until they were done, you see, until she was done. And then, and then I would go in and do my part, you see. <laughs> and so, so it was, it was not run on schedule, by the schedule that was written at the beginning of the day, but we ran on the schedule that, that God gave us each day. And it was such a blessing. And it was, oh, it was, it was ideal. We were making, I was, <laughs> I was, I wasn't even, I didn't even know how much money I was making. I just, whatever we made, we just deposited in the bank. I just knew that at the end of the month I had too much money. And I didn't know what to do with it. For the first time in my life, I had more money than I could use. When I was pursuing money, it seemed like no matter how much money I had, it was always more going out than what was left over. 
But now, what do I do? I didn't know about OCI. I would have contributed all of that to OCI. I'm serious. But I didn't know about OCI. And so I did. I prayed, asking God to show me what to do. You know, I used to take $40,000 vacations, and now I'm sending it all to missions, other people that I know needs money. And so it really began at home. And I think that that's the way, best way we can prepare for any kind of mission service is to begin at home, wherever you are. There's a statement in the book, Desire of Ages, page 70. I believe it's paragraph 3. I have it right here. From his earliest years, Jesus was possessed of one purpose. One purpose. From his earliest years, this is what was foremost in his thoughts every single day, every moment. He lived to bless others. He lived to bless others. That was what was going on through his mind every moment of his day and every day he would wake up, how can I bless my mother? How can I bless my brothers? How can I bless my father? How can I bless my neighbor? How can I be a blessing to the person that has no food? He was consumed by this thought, how can I be a blessing to others? Unfortunately, I didn't learn it when I was younger. This is the only regret I have in my life, that I didn't learn this lesson when I was younger. When I was consumed by self, I had no joy and happiness. When I was consumed by helping others, I have the joy, greatest joy in my life. And so I began to, let's see, back to the story in Montana, we were having this wonderful experience, ministering to my patients, baptisms, Bible studies, elder in my church, and then God called, knocked on my door. Said, what about full-time ministry? I said, God, I'm sorry, but you have the wrong man. I'm sorry, but I don't have any, any skills. And, and in the process, we went to an OCI uh, conference, leadership conference. And from there, my wife and I both attended. And we just had this overwhelming feeling, this idea, thought, that we should be going to, to Bolivia to open a medical missionary training school because I had two years of high school, uh, two years of Spanish in high school, but in my, my, my family, they didn't have any Spanish, and here we're going to a uh, uh, Spanish-speaking country, and I didn't know the culture, and when God first called, I said, I came up with all these excuses. You know, when we come up with excuses, it means that God is trying to convict us, okay? And that's why we come up with excuses. Okay. And so I kept coming up. And finally, all these excuses, I, God just kind of took away. And then finally, I had one last excuse. God, I don't even love these people. I don't even know who they are. There's no, and if I can't love them, I have, how can I minister to them? You know, I thought that was, yeah, isn't that, doesn't that sound like a good excuse? 
absolutely. I finally had a good excuse after about three months. And I totally forgot about that prayer. And uh, the following, about six, seven days later, I'm looking at, at, a, at a magazine. I don't remember what it was, but I'm just flipping through this, and I saw a picture of a poor child in a foreign country. I don't even remember what country it was. But I remember very distinctly I was moved like I've never moved, been moved before. I had this compassion over this person that I didn't even know. It was just a picture, but it just, it just moved me. And I realized after that experience, when I'm having my devotional the next morning, that that was God's doing, removing my last excuse that I had. And then I had this thought that there are people in Bolivia that do not know God. And they are searching for God. They're in darkness, praying that God would send somebody to share with them. And so we, we went to Bolivia. And uh, we, uh, for the purpose of starting a medical missionary training school. And... You know what I have found is that when God calls, he doesn't always call the equipped, but he equips the called. Whatever need there is, I remember sitting down in church, my first church experience in Bolivia. I sit down, and I'm waiting for the service to start. It was after Sabbath school. And I'm sitting there and just enjoying my time. I couldn't understand a thing, even though I had two years of Spanish in high school, and, and somebody just comes up to me and says, can you preach? I said, I said yeah, and, and he goes, I mean, like right now? <laughs> okay, <laughs> I had no idea what I was gonna say. I was not accustomed to speaking in the States, and it took me a month to prepare for sermons. Okay. And here we are, getting just a minute or two away from walking up to the podium. And I just said, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but you know what you're doing. You called me here. You need to speak through me. And I just gave that time to God. And I don't mean to brag because it's not about me, but this is about God. But God was able to use me. And that was the first time I had preached without notes, without thinking about it ahead of time for a month or two. And it was the first time that it just words flowed out of my mouth and, and, and I had a really good translator and God provided everything. Now I'm still waiting for the day when I can speak and Spanish will just come right out. You know? I'm still waiting for that. That has not happened yet. Please pray for me. <laughs> this has been my biggest, biggest, you know, I'm thinking why do, why can all these young people come to Bolivia? I mean, they can learn this language in, in three months. And here I am, four years, and I'm still trying to learn the language. And it's still difficult for me. But I am, since we've been there, it's been amazing what God has been doing. We see the devil working okay, very openly. In the U.S., the devil, do you think the devil is working less or more? Or more? The devil is working more and more. Because there's more privileges here in the United States. 
You have more. We have more here in the United States. So the devil is working harder, but it's more disguised. So it's not as obvious. Okay? But out there, the devil works more obviously in many times, but he works disguised too. But the devil is working more obviously. We had students that were completely, um, that were not completely, but possessed. Okay? And so, things like that. And one of the things that I need to tell you is that we, did, we were not called by the church. So we didn't have any, anyone supporting us and telling us, okay, we're going to support you and give you every month. And it was a completely, see, and I don't believe that everybody needs to do this, okay? But you understand, you have to understand where I come from. I was used to providing for my needs. And this has been ever since I was little. I worked and worked. I, whatever my, I wanted, I was able to get because I was able to work and provide for my needs. I believe that God has called me for this, special, for this specific experience that I needed to experience, that I need to learn to trust God. Okay. And so we left with some amount of money after giving away everything else, uh, after the sale of our house, sale of my practice, and all the other things, we were left enough money that I, my calculation would last about five years. Well, it was about two years later that all the money was, was used. And I knew someday that would happen. And the reason why I was thinking five years was because in five years I was thinking, okay, Jesus is going to come. And I wouldn't have to go through that experience of using up the last bit of money for our groceries and not knowing where the next money for our next week's grocery would come from. And so in two years, much sooner than I anticipated, much sooner than when Jesus, <laughs> Jesus had not come. And so... I was at, at that point for the first time in my life. Didn't know we had used up all of our food for our money, uh, money for our food. Today, once a week we would go shopping, and next week, at the same day that week, I didn't know where the money would come from. And I went outside, took a long walk with God. You have to realize we had 60 people on campus. We had students, we had volunteers, we had my family. So I was responsible, I felt, for all these people. So I reminded God of the promise that, that we made. We kind of made a pact before we, I accepted the call from God. Okay, I finally said I will go if you promise these things that you provide for all of our needs. I'm not asking for a lot. I'm not looking, asking for luxury. I'm just asking for our needs, just basic needs. And second thing was, I don't know how to do anything. You know, when you think of missionaries, missionaries know they know how to fix cars and 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 bake bread and and how to how to give uh, um, in-depth study on on the on the 144,000, whether it's symbolic or literal, 
Okay, this is what I was thinking that a missionary should be able to do, and with all this education that I had, I did not know how to do any of those things. I did not know how to fix the plumbing. Okay, I didn't know how to do anything. I knew I had done once, I had changed the tire, a flat tire. That was the only thing I, I knew how to take a dipstick, figure out if I have enough oil. Okay, that was the only thing I knew how to do. And uh, so that was the other thing that I, may, I asked God to provide the people. If you don't provide me with the skill, provide the people that we need with the skills that we're going to need. And those were the two promises that I asked God. And what do you think God said? Oh, there was another thing. I asked the third one. So those two things... God said to me, I already promised you those things. Just look at my word. Just look in the Bible. I already promised. Oh, yeah. But I just needed to hear it once again. So I went to the Bible and looked it over those texts, how God will provide for our needs. Don't worry about tomorrow. And so, so then after that, we decided to move. Uh, oh, one other thing was that my family, I was one of the excuses that I gave, my wife does not like change. She would rather, I buy her a new car, brand new car, and she would rather drive her old car because that's what she was used to. She doesn't handle change very well. So that was one of my other excuses. My wife will not handle the change. Okay, so this was going to be one of those tests, okay? So I went to my wife, and what do you think about this idea, this idea? She said, that sounds like a good idea. I said, what? <laughs> I said, what? That just blew me away. And later on, I got the courage to ask her, why did you say yes to that idea? You don't like change. Yes, I know, but, but you see, the life that we used to live, was nothing like the life that we used to live now. Before, we, I knew that you were in love with your career. That was the love of your life. That was your wife. That was your spouse. Now I know you love God, and I know that you love me. Why wouldn't any woman go wherever you want? That was her answer. And that really touched me. Yeah? And I said, wow, this is amazing how God works. When we live for God, when we consecrate our lives completely to God, he not only blesses me, but he blesses our marriage. He blesses my relationship with my family, my, even my relationship with my father, my mother, my brother, and my extended families, and my relationship with my members and my church. And just God is in the, in the business of repairing relationships, I found out. I just praise God that I gave my life to God completely. And one of the things that I found out, oh, when, so here I am, I forgot to finish the story, not having money, okay, and then God, so I walked, took a walk, and God, I knew this was going to happen someday, but I was hoping that Jesus would come before this, and here we, I am, no more money. We used up everything. We, we went through all the drawers, pulled out all the money to buy groceries the day before, I believe this was Friday. And so 
God reminded me, remember that day when you gave your life to me. Remember that day that we gave everything to me. Yes, God, I remember that very clearly. Well, so whose problem is this? I realize this is not my problem. Okay, This is one of the benefits of being a totally consecrated Christian. Now, I am going to tell you that I'm not saying before you that I'm completely consecrated, I'm holy, and that I am better than you or any, anybody else, okay? But at the, t at the level that I was, in my understanding, I had completely given everything to God. You understand what I'm saying, okay? It's a process. Christian experience, Christian life is a process, step-by-step -step process, okay? And so, so God reminded me, remember that day? And said, yes, of course I remember that day. And so God reminded me, this is not your problem. This is my problem. And I was, so, I was so filled with joy again that this was God's problem. I just didn't know how he was going to solve his problem. And so from that day, I mean, whenever we have car problems, it's no longer my problem. It is God's problem. When I have a relationship problem, it's not my problem. It's God's problem. Any problem that I have, it is now God's problem. Let's not take God's problem into our own hands, <laughs> okay? Let's leave it where it belongs. And I found, I have found, that God loves to take our problems. God loves to say, give you, me your problems, all of them, all of them, every single one of them, because he wants to show us great and mighty things, you see. And that's why he says to call on me. That means we give him Here's the problem, I call on you so that I can give you the, my problem. Okay? But most, people, most of us, the way we pray is, here's my problem, what are you going to do to solve my problem? Whose problem is that? It is still my problem. But when we consecrate our problems to God, when we consecrate our lives, lives to God, it is no longer our problem. We just sit back. And, and do what God asks us to do, because sometimes God asks us to do something about the problem. Okay? And so I'm not saying we should do nothing, but in the Bible, Spirit of Prophecy, God tells us many times the things that we can do. So we, I go to the Bible, Spirit of Prophecy, here's the situation. What do you want me to do? This is your problem, but you want me to do something about this, or do you want me to sit back? And my natural tendency is grab the... the the bull by the horns and, and wrestle. And I'm learning to let go more and more. Let go. And pray and pray and pray until God solves the problem. And it's been amazing, that experience, that I don't have to be the solution. And we have experiences in the Bible God has given to us. You know, we can think of people who tried to solve God's problem because they thought it was their problem. Okay. And we know that it doesn't work. And I have students that come and they have many experiences where they try to solve their life problems on their own. And I believe the most important thing that I can do for my staff, my students, we have volunteers. We had two volunteers come from Southern. Beautiful. Oh, 
what a wonderful experience was, it was um, to have them. What a joy it was. The classes that, that you guys have here, preparing people for mission, wonderful class. I don't even know exactly what they're taught, but it certainly uh, prepared them very well. And uh, it worked out so well that I want more <laughs> volunteers from, uh, from Southern student missionaries. But wh where was I going with this? Um, okay. <laughs> okay, rest of the story. So, so I, okay, so God tells me, he reminds me, the problem is his. Okay, so I say, okay, so, I, so then I'm just waiting for God. So how are you going to solve your problem here? And I'm just looking, trying to figure out how he's going to solve this problem. There's no possibility of immediate answer. Well, that Sunday, this was Friday, and that Sunday, we have in the morning a pickup truck full of ladies from the area. Okay. They have medical problems, every single one of them. There must, be, must have been about 15 ladies. They want consultations. So the, we have somebody that gives them consultations, and as they're leaving, each one of them leaves 20 Bolivianos. That's about $3 each. Okay. So that's not very much, right? I mean, that's not very much at all for 60 people for a week. But I immediately recognize, because that has never happened before, I immediately recognize that God is doing something. And I immediately, I'm just so grateful what God is doing. He hasn't finished yet, because that's not enough, okay? But Spirit Prophecy tells us, God has how many ways? A thousand ways to provide for our needs. And I truly believe thousand is, God is trying to put it in terms that we can understand. Okay, because if God said, I have a million ways to provide for your needs, even though that is true, I truly believe that is true. But if he said that, we would have said, no way. Okay, but a thousand, yeah, I can kind of, kind of begin to grasp that idea that God has a thousand ways. And so I believe that he uses that term just for, so that we can, we can connect with this, with this idea that God has a thousand ways. So I'm thinking about all these things, thousand ways. Okay, there's one. So we got 999 other ways. So they leave, and that same afternoon, there's a, three people visiting from some other country. They're, they're, they just heard about our ministry. They wanted to come visit and see for themselves what we do and everything. So we gave them a tour and uh, we fed them lunch and as they leave, they give me $100 for, for lunch. I said, that's way too much, please, no. You don't need to pay anything. You are our guest, please. We're, you know, I knew that we needed money but I just, I didn't want them to feel like they were obligated. Okay? And so they, they insisted, so okay another hundred dollars and Monday I think it was one of my one of our volunteers they said here I believe God wants me to give this to you and he handed us some money it wasn't real significant it wasn't nearly where it was supposed to be I believe it was Wednesday the day before we were supposed to go out buying groceries I had an email, no, it was, it was Tuesday. I had an email from an uh, accountant back in the States where our funds went through saying 
that we had a sizable donation. I said, I just, I just, I just broke down. God, you're so good. Just in time because the next day I had to go to pick up the money so that we can buy groceries and get it all changed and everything into Bolivianos and buy the groceries on Thursday. And just, I just broke down and just, I just cried like a baby the way God provide for our needs. And from that day on, that was now about a year, almost two years ago, year and a half ago, something like that. Time flies when you're having fun, they say. And uh, every week, God has been providing. Every month, God has been providing. And uh, I never cease to be amazed. Um, you know, can you imagine the children of Israel in the wilderness? After 39 years, 359 days, manna falling from heaven. Do you think it was as miraculous in their eyes as the first day it happened? No, it kind of gets used to it. Even though you see a miracle every day, you kind of get, you, you, you get used to God's miracles. And one day I remember sitting with my mother, we, had, we were visiting from, from Bolivia. And I'm just, just talking and just telling her some of the things that are happening. And she said, wow, these are amazing. You should share this in church. What? What did I say? What did I? Well, I'm just telling you what happens every day. And I forget all the miracles God is doing on a regular basis. And that's why we are told our greatest fear is forgetting how God has led us in the past. It is, it is tra a tragedy when we forget how God has led us. First of all, call on God and, and see what, how he's going to answer when we call on God, the great and mighty things that he shows us, and then we forget about him. And we just go on our way as if nothing happened. Okay. Twelve years ago, I should have died that airplane crash with my whole family. From that day on, I live each day as if my, it's my last. I live each day as if it's a gift from God because it is a gift of God. And we forget because we've been living and living every day, we forget that it's a gift from God. It is a miracle of God that we are alive today. It is by the mercy of God, even if you've never been in an airplane crash before, even though you've never had a life-threatening experience, it is still a gift of God that we are alive today. So my, my um, looking back after four years, I guess I'm supposed to be talking about international mission service. Looking back over the last four years, it's been such a wonderful experience. I would never, ever, I think sometimes, what if we get kicked out of, we just, we were in the process of applying for our permanent residency in Bolivia. And while I was going through that, what if, I have a friend who applied and got rejected, and I think they gave him like two or three weeks. I don't remember exactly. Jeff, remember how long it was that they gave him? Didn't they give him some time to, to leave the country? That's what I remember. And I, I was thinking, what if that happens? And a thought occurred to me that I may have to go back to the States and live like I used to. And I thought, no, I can't live that way. I can't do that. I don't know how to do that anymore. 
and not be in full-time ministry for God? That would drive me crazy. So I just, my point is that it's been a wonderful experience. Every day is something different. I don't work for money. I work for souls. And it's been truly the most rewarding time in my life. And I just, I'm, I am in Bolivia. When I was in the States, I used to pray for the missionaries overseas. Now I'm in Bolivia praying for you folks. Because now I realize you guys are the ones that need the prayers. So thank you for the opportunity to be here. You've always been a great audience. Are there any questions? For either one of us, but for him probably. No questions? Okay. So I have a question for you. How would you answer your 100-year test? What is really most important in your lives? And are you going to use the time, excuse me, the time God's given you in fulfillment with that greater vision? That's the real question. Don't wait till you get any older to answer it. Let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we, we thank you for the call that you have on each of our lives, for the tremendous grace that you freely and abundantly bestow upon us. Thank you for the opportunity to reflect on what you want us to do with this tremendous gift the gift of life. Bless us each one, in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.